and welcome to I Read a Book Once. My name is Emma, and this is a podcast where I talk about books. Today, I'm going to be talking about Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Now, you may or may not be aware that this was one of my all-time favorite books that I read in 2020, and this is my first time rereading it since then, and I read it about like almost exactly two years after the first time, and let me just tell you, It did not disappoint. I loved it maybe even more the second time around. So, so good. So this is a fantasy novel. Is it? I think it's technically YA. So it's a YA fantasy novel, I guess. And it is a loose retelling of Rumpelstiltskin. Now, when I say loose, I mean quite loose. It's taking the idea of turning straw into gold and turning it into, um, changing into turning silver into gold. But that's kind of like where the similarities end and it really takes on a life of its own. It's over, it's almost 470 pages. So it's a really long, really sprawling story, but I absolutely love and adore it. And I'm so excited to talk to all of you about it today. Now, because it is so long, um, I'm a little concerned about the plot summary. So I'll give you guys a condensed version of the best that I can, but we'll kind of see what happens with that. So before we get into the plot summary, which I just am going to jump into because I think it might be kind of long and I have a lot to say for the discussion section, I must issue some warnings. First is a spoiler warning. If you don't want Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik to be spoiled, stop here, go read the book. I would definitely recommend it and then come back and listen to this episode. And then I also need to issue, I think, some trigger warnings for um, mostly some domestic abuse of parents and children. And then, uh, is that it? Is there anything else? Um, There's definitely some anti-Semitism going on. I don't necessarily think that's like a trigger warning in general, but that is something that is going on. And so it is also something I'm going to talk about because the idea of like Judaism and like the main character being a Jew is like so important to this book and this story and I absolutely loved it. So I'm definitely going to talk about that later in the discussion section, but I think that's all I need to say beforehand. The thing I want to say is that this is just an underrated gem. Totally underrated. I never see people talking about it. Even though it like won some awards and it was nominated for stuff, the sticker on the front of my book says it was one of the 100 notable books of 2018, according to the New York Times book review. So you all need to stop sleeping on this. Like, let's stop all reading the same boring YA stuff, okay? And pick up Spinning Silver. Another fun thing about this book is that it is a standalone, which is really uncommon in fantasy, and it delivers. It delivers everybody. Okay, here we go. Jumping into the plot summary. So this book is told from multiple perspectives, but the number one perspective, the number one main character is Miriam. And Miriam is the daughter of a moneylender. So her family is Jewish. And this is really interesting part of the book as that kind of playing into the interactions with the villagers and her interactions with other characters and things like that. So her family's Jewish and her her mother's father is like a really big moneylender in one of the cities, but her mother married her father and he became a moneylender in one of these small towns and he sucks at his job. He like never really asks for money from anyone and their family is super poor because of that. They've lent 
all their money to others and they're not making any return on it. So Miriam's mother gets really sick at the beginning of the book and so she decides to take up the mantle and become the money lender herself. And so the beginning of the book is her like getting the money back from the villagers and her family like her mother recovering. But her mom and her dad are also like not really like happy that she's doing this. Her mother like has a conversation with her father at one point about how it's like turning her cold. Um, but Miriam hears it and she's like, rather I would rather be cold inside than cold actually and starving and my mom die. So part of this is she goes to um, this farm on the outside and she meets Wanda, who is another one of the main characters. And her life is pretty tragic. Um, her family lives on this farm. It's her dad and her two younger brothers. Her mom has passed away and so have five babies. And so they're in a lot of debt and Miriam comes to collect, but they're so poor they have nothing to give. So she says she's going to take Wanda and she'll come and work off the debt. So kind of becoming sort of an indentured servant. But Wanda is all about this because she knows it's just a matter of time until her father marries her off. And this is a way that she doesn't have to do that. And at the beginning of the book, she like really doesn't like her brothers because she sees them as taking her mother away from her. And like she kind of resents the work she has to do with them, whatever, whatever. So she goes to work for Miriam and starts to learn how to read and to count. And she sees that as like magic. And she also like sort of starts becoming part of the family and her and Miriam start to become friends. And so now Miriam is like going with her mom to visit her grandfather. And while they're in the woods, she has some sort of conversation with her mom and boasts about how she can turn silver into gold. And that is really where the plot picks up because in this magical world, they're, so they like live in like a kingdom, like, you know, normal. And it is probably a play on Russia because they have a czar and czarina instead of like a king and a queen, you know. But there is this other world, the Stark world. And the Stark are these ice creatures, but like fae. They're kind of like fairies, but like not. I don't know. So basically they're like these, they look like people, but they're like maybe made out of ice. And they live in this like winter world. And during the winter, they can come and invade their world and they like to raid and steal gold. And so people are afraid of them. Another interesting thing is that you forget you've seen them when if you see them most of the time, which is like, I don't really understand how their magic works and we'll talk about that later. So the Stark, a Stark Lord comes and we later find out that he's the king and he gives Miriam six silver Stark coins and asks her to turn them into gold. Now, if she doesn't, she's like afraid she's going to die. So she goes to back to Visnia, which is the city her grandfather lives in. And her cousin is going to is like betrothed to this um, jewel, like jeweler, jewelry guy. And so he turns it into a ring and they sell the ring to the Duke of that city. Then she comes back and the Stark comes again with another thing of silver. And she's like, I need more time. And then she's like, what are you going to give me? And he says, if you do this three times for me, including the first time, I will turn you into my queen. And so she doesn't really want that. But she's like, well, the alternative is I die. So she goes back. They turn it into a necklace. And then um, the third time they turn it into a crown. And the Duke buys all of these things. And he ends up giving them to his daughter, Irina, who we're now introduced to like our third main character. And she is not very pretty. She's kind of just like average looking. And so her father's neglected her her whole life. Her mom died like when she was born or right after she was born or something. And then he remarried and kind of like stuck her in the attic and forgot about her. But the czar is coming and the Stark Silver, like when whoever wears it, people are like drawn to them. Like there's something about them. So 
putting it on Irina, he's like, I can get the uh, the czar to marry my daughter. And everybody's like, okay. But the czar is, like, rumored to have some sort of, like, be a sorcerer or something because everybody knows his mother was a witch. And so he shows up and he agrees to marry her immediately. And we're like, huh, I wonder why. Because he, like, doesn't think she's very beautiful. It's like, what is going on? And I am kind of skipping around a bit, but that's just because it's, like, a long book and I'm trying to give you the best condensed summary I can and we find out that when the sun goes down there's a demon a fire demon living inside of the czar Miranitis and that the demon told him to marry her because he wants to like consume her because Irina has like she's like one eighth stark blood or something like that like her great-grandmother or something was unfortunately raped by a stark and had a baby. And so she has some sort of magic still left in her. And so Irina needs to escape and she puts on all her silver and her furs and she realizes when she looks into a mirror, she can see into the stark land. And if she's wearing the silver, she can go through the mirror to the other side. So she does that to survive. Meanwhile, Miriam has uh, succeeded in her goal. So the Stark King, the Stark Lord comes to take her away. And so um, the other thing with the Stark is that they have this whole thing where you're, you can't know each other's names. So I'm just going to call him the Stark throughout this as she does. And so, um, but Miriam doesn't know this at this point and whatever. So she has Wanda and Wanda's brothers like come to the house to try and like be with her parents because Wanda knows what's going on, but her parents don't. But Wanda's dad, they accidentally end up killing him, her and her brother Sergi. And so they send Stepan to live with Miriam's parents and they run away into the woods. While they're in the woods, they find this, like, abandoned house, and it ends up, like, having things in it, and it's probably a witch's house, but they're, like, fixing it up to, like, try and leave it better than they found it, and it is providing them some refuge from the villagers who probably want to kill them for accidentally killing their dad, but they only did that because he was going to kill Wanda, so, yeah. Anyways, the Stark Lord comes to take Miriam, brings her to the Stark lands, even though she doesn't really want to go, she doesn't have a choice, And when he puts the crown on her head, because she's like, I can't actually turn silver into gold into your world, like whatever. But turns out she actually can, because when he puts the crown of silver on her head, she like takes it and it turns into gold, everybody. So when she's in the Stark world, she actually can turn silver into gold, which is crazy. So then she they like go up into her chambers or whatever, and she goes to take some drink some wine and he bats out of her hands because it's poisoned. And basically he's like you like proved me wrong like I can't kill you but she's like oh my god he was just gonna kill me and she's like and he was like yeah and then he's like okay you have your rights so you know like marital intimate rights and she doesn't want that so she trades it away to ask him three questions each day this turns into an issue because once she gets her servants they can't answer any of her questions because of her bargain with the Stark Lord and so she is like trapped there trying to figure out what she's going to do, things like that, like how the world works, because it's like very confusing and very different. And she ends up taking a ride one day. And so she gets these two servants, Fleck and Sops. Sops. So she like names them that and then like gives them those nicknames. And then chauffeur becomes like her chauffeur. And so he like takes her and he en- she ends up finding the hut, but it lives in both worlds, which like since I've read it before, I knew, but like at the time you don't really understand and Irina is there with her um, basically nanny who, like, has been sent by the czar so that they can use her as leverage. And so they, they're, like, in the house, whatever, whatever. Then Stepan and Miriam's parents end up, like, going 
leaving the town and they go to find Wanda and Sergi and they're going to the village because they realize they've forgotten Miriam. So they find him at the house. The house is magical, blah, blah, blah. And then Miriam and Irina strike up a deal because they both want to kill their husbands and that Miriam will figure out how to get the Stark Lord into the sunlit world, into like the regular world. And then um, Irina will get her husband back to Visnia and they will have them meet and hopefully they will destroy each other, a being of ice and a being of snow, uh, of fire. So Miriam has to strike this deal that she has to turn these three whole vaults into all the silver in them into gold and they're huge. So she can do the first one in one day, but she only has three days to do it and they keep getting bigger and bigger. So she invites Flop, stop no flex stop and chauffeur into um an agreement where if they do this they become her bonds people which at the time she doesn't know what it means but basically they empty out the third storeroom she's able to change everything and so the stark lord has to bring her and she ends up learning so one of the like plot points is that like winter keeps getting longer so people are starving and suffering like it's almost June in this book. Like, it's basically summer, but, like, there's still snow on the ground. And part of it is because the gold, the reason they want it is that they can turn it into winter. Like, they're stealing the sunlight, if that makes sense. It Like, now that I've read it the second time, it makes more sense to me. And so that's why Miriam is important. And so because she's done this, the Stark Lord can do a whole snowstorm. So she had started to sort of like him, but then that made her, like, be like, we got to kill him. So they show up. And Irina strikes a deal with Marinatus and his demon that he's that in return for not like killing her and her people, he will get the Stark Lord. So they show up to this wedding. Everything's like happy at first. And then like um, they show up and there's like a huge fight. And the Stark Lord is like really like he's winning. Like he ends up naming the demon Chernobog or whatever. And they, we end up finding out that the reason the Starks like this past seven years have been worse winters and the Starks have been coming more is because Chernobog is on the throne inside Miranatus and he like broke their like ice mountain. So they need more winter to keep it, uh, keep it cold and keep it from melting. So anyways, the Stark Lord has won and he's trying to take Miriam away and her family and Wanda and searching and Stepan are like, no. So they end up binding him with silver and candles and Irina like lets Chernobog out and they end up like taking him away. And Miriam is like, devastated because she realizes that Chernobog is going to kill all of the people and part of the story is that like after they like did it she ends up finding out that Fleck has a daughter and she names the daughter and she like feels a connection to these people these Stark and so she's like I have to do something about it and so she goes and her family's like okay because once they captured him summer came like it's spring it's summer like things are the kingdom's gonna survive but she's like, the other kingdom will die. So she goes and like sets him free and escapes and like gets an agreement from him that the winter will only be a normal time and that they will stop like um, like pillaging cities and things like that. So she saves him, but then Irina is in trouble. And so she lets Chernobog through into the Stark world. And so he is like destroying everything. So Miriam has to figure out how to get the Stark back there. There's this whole subplot with um, Stepan having this seed. Stepan is Wanda's younger brother, youngest brother, and they're able to get it to the other side and a Stark tree grows. I'm really glossing over that. And they can, the Stark is able to call the road. So Miriam goes knowing she won't be able to come back until the first day of winter. So she goes and they're able to stop him by she, uh, Chernobog can be um, 
stopped by gold, basically, so the opposite of the Stark Lord that way. So they, like, bind him and they end up, like, they reseal the mountain with the gold and all of this different stuff. And then he ends up going back through and he's, like, really weak. And Irina won't take a bargain from him other than that he won't touch her and hers. And since she's the Tsarina, he can't, like, consume anybody. So he ends up, like, dying, basically. And we get Miranatus back and he doesn't have the demon inside him anymore. And then at the end, we get kind of an epilogue of Miriam's, like, helping for the next six or so months, like, rebuild the Stark world because a lot of people died when Chernobog came and, like, the mountain and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, they, like, return her back and the Stark Lord asks for his permission to court her. And then she's like, if we get married, we're doing it by my customs and I don't think you would do that. But he's like, no. I'll do anything for you, basically. And so part of it is that, like, obviously, you have to sign your name to the marriage contract. And so at the end, literally, this is, like, such a huge spoiler, but, like, I have to read these last lines to you. And so, and on the wedding contract before me and my parents and the rabbi and Wanda and Sergi for our witnesses, in silver ink, he signed his name. But I won't ever tell you what it is. I have never, never in my life read a better last line to a book than this. I cannot tell you how hard it hit me the first time I read this book. And then like, this is one of the things that I found about myself and deciding like what separates a really good book from a great book, a book that like lives in my mind rent free. It's either that the ending I go back to and I read like over and over again, even though like I haven't been reading the book, I'll just like before I go to bed, pick up the book and read the ending. Or there's some sort of scene in the book that lives in my mind rent free and I just like think about it and it's just so good. And this like that whole last chapter is it's like good, but it's also like a lot of just like plot of explaining like what's happened in the past six months but I won't ever tell you what it is. You can't tell me that that's not just amazing because like it just, it hits, it hits so hard. I don't know, like it, you guys, you have to read this book and I'm telling you, you'll get to the end. You'll read that line and you will know how I feel because it just hits different. It really truly does. It's so incredibly good. I can't even explain to you all. I just love it. And that is me beginning at the end, one of my most popular segments that I do where I talk about the ending at the beginning of my discussion section. And that's really all I have to say about the end. And I, but I'm going to be talking about the ending in general as we continue on and move forward. So I cannot wait to get into it. So what I want to talk about now is just the big role that Judaism and just Miriam and her family being Jewish plays in this book, because I read a lot, as you all know, and very, very rarely is religion ever a part of a book, especially in a fantasy. In fantasy, when it's like, um, I'm not sure if the world, in fantasy where it's not just like our world, but there's fantastical elements, but more of like a completely different world, if there's religion, it's typically some, like, new made-up religion um, that the author just created for the world, right? And so, like, religion is, like, very rarely a part of fantasy. It can be, but, like, it's it's not really usually. And even in just, like, contemporaries and, like, historical fiction and things like that, like, we're not really seeing religion 
play a role in historical fiction, obviously, like if you're reading World War II, Judaism is going to play a role if you're reading something about the Holocaust. But that's like a very different sort of thing, very sad, like whatever. And like in other books, like you're not really seeing religion portrayed unless it is negative in a way of like, my family's like if you're reading something about like a gay character and it's like, my family's very religious and so now they hate me or like something like that. Like, you're not typically seeing religion portrayed. Everybody's pretty much just an atheist or religion is not touched on. And that's fine. But what I loved about this book is that Miriam's Jewish faith was so important to her. Like, throughout the book, at one point when you go to the Stark world, like, there's no way to really tell how the days are passing in the mortal world. And so she bargains to get this um, mirror so she can see, like, when the sun rises and sets so that she is able to observe the Sabbath. And so that she can, like, say her prayers and do things like that because it was so important to her. And then, like, um, at the end of the book, when she says, like, her faith is so important to her that she can't marry the Stark if he's not willing to, like, not necessarily convert and become Jewish, but, like, allow her to, like, have her Jewish wedding and to follow those customs and for their future children, potentially, to also be Jewish. And he is cool with that, which we love. And, like, the other, like, important part of this book is at the beginning, the villagers all hate her family because they're Jewish and also because they like owe them money. But that's also tied into the idea of them being Jewish, which I thought was just so brilliant because like there is like if you think about in history, like the stereotype as of Jewish people like being um, like having money and being stingy with it or like being the money lenders and like people hating them for that and things like that. And that like became part of this book. And even like when they weren't like lending money, like the people liked to look down on her family for being Jewish because they were like, ugh, Jews. And so basically, like, this is a very interesting idea of like, not an idea, but it was very interesting to see like religion playing out in this book. And it doesn't really ever like say that everybody else is Christian, but like you can kind of just assume if they're Jewish, everybody else that is looking down on them in this Russian kingdom is probably well, like, fake Russia, but, like, also, it's probably Christian, and so, like, I just, like, obviously, I don't enjoy anti-Semitism. That is bad. We should not do that, but I really enjoy the fact that Miriam being Jewish is just such an important part of the book and her character. Like, throughout the book, there's different times when she, like, says different Jewish prayers that end up turning into magic, so I'm not really sure, like, religiously how that vibes, but, like, also cool um and just like all this different stuff it like it was just so enjoyable so different and refreshing honestly like who like if you are Jewish and you are looking for some good representation of the main character being Jewish and it, it being in a positive light and fantasy this is like a great book I can't recommend it enough for that like it was that's like one of my favorite parts about it is just seeing religion being portrayed in a positive way and like seeing how important Miriam's faith is to her and how she holds to it and how it guides her in her decisions and just like how it like ties her family together her like mom and dad but also her extended family and like just also looking at like 
how the religious differences are like making her an outcast but how she like still is like doesn't just renounce her faith and things like that and I just really enjoyed that a lot I don't think I have anything more to say about it but I'm just telling you guys like that is so important and I love that we're seeing that representation I'm like 97% positive that Naomi Novik is Jewish herself and so like way to go writing that representation that you want into your own book so I love that um, a few other things I want to talk about, like my backstory with this book. So like I said at the beginning, this was one of my favorite books of 2020. If I put rereads in my favorite books list for a year, like I don't do that because if it's already, if it's a reread, I've probably like, it was probably already on the list. I don't know. But this would go on the list again. It was just so good the second time around. And the backstory I want to tell you about this book is that the first time I read it was January 2020 two months before COVID and the world shuts everything down. And it was the first, I was like about halfway through and it was the first day of one of my classes. I was a senior in college at the time. And you know, you have like first day icebreaker questions. So my professor was asking us all to like go around, say our name, grade, major, things like that. And then so, like the best book we've read recently or the best movie slash TV show we'd seen recently. And so obviously I'm in the middle of this book. It's so good. Like, I have to share, especially because at the time, all the books I had read in December were flops, i.e. American Royals and Red, White, and Royal Blue. No offense to the stands out there, but they were not for me. And so I shared that this was my favorite book and that it was a loose Rumpelstiltskin retelling, fantasy, like whatever. Everybody else in this class, and I share about halfway through, so I already know this trend, like how it's going. Everybody else in this class just happens to have a really good nonfiction book they had read recently or like some really informative documentary or like some bullshit like that. Like, yeah, right. This must be your actual favorite book you read recently. This must be your actual favorite TV show or movie you said recently. Like, I don't care that this is class. I'm not about to lie about who I am and what I have enjoyed. That's I honestly can't with that. And so I bravely said that this was the, ow, I just hit myself with the book, ow. That this was the best book that I had read and I didn't care that I stood out that way. And I just think that's indicative of me and who I am that even though I probably had one of the highest grades in that class to humble brag about it. And like I had taken that professor multiple times before also, which, so he already knew me very well. But, um, I was, I was going to be honest and I was going to say this is what's good. So that's the backstory on that. I also want to talk about, no, I'll talk about that at the end because it plays into what I'll be reading next week. So now let's talk about what does this say about me, which is a section that I brought about during my Bring Down the Duke episode where I talk about what does this say about me, the way I feel about different characters and relationships. So what does this say about me that I was happy and excited that Miriam and the Stark Lord end up getting married at the end of the book? Because I feel like it could say a lot of things about me that are not exactly super positive and like good. So basically at the beginning, obviously we don't like the Stark Lord. And part of this is like harder for me to like Reading it the first time, my emotions toward, toward the Stark Lord were a bit different because this time around, I, like, knew how he changed by the end. So, like, I saw him a bit more positively. But at the beginning, he's, like, threatening to kill her kind of a lot. Like, he's kind of an asshole. Like, all this different stuff. We don't really like him, right? 
but he grows to respect and love her and he follows her traditions at the end and he signs his name to the marriage contract. And that's the other thing, like, I don't understand the Stark, like, culture or magic system or really any of how it works because it's never explained. And part of the reason it's not explained is because Miriam is not meant to understand it because if she did, she would, like, not act the same way and, like, the her time there would be different. But part of the thing is that they, like, don't give names out because if you have the true name of one of the Stark people, you can kind of, like, I guess control or command them to do whatever because Chernobog the demon is, like, trying to get the Stark's name so that he can open the path and, like, go there and kill everybody, basically. And the Stark Lord refuses. And so, like, that's, like, part of the whole thing about names, which I think is, like, very indicative of, like, how fairies work. I don't know. I don't, like really read anything about I don't read fantasy with fairies involved ever really but like I feel like I've seen like stuff places I I don't know like I feel like I've seen things like how fairies like try to trap you and like get them to tell you your true name and then they can control you or something like that so this must be a play off of that but I don't really know it says on the back of the book that um the Stark are grim fey creatures who seem more ice than flesh. So, like, fey, like, sort of, like, fairies. I don't know. But, like, they don't have wings. I'm a lot more, um, the fairies that I'm more familiar with are Tinkerbell and her friends. And this is definitely not that sort of fairy uh, situation. But anyways, I'm not sure what it says about me that I'm, like, happy they get together at the end. Because, like, you're seeing, like, Miriam's, like, opinion towards him change as well. So, that could be influencing me. It could also just be me having read too many dark romances what a call out for myself um and just like being okay with the fact that she ends up with this kind of morally gray character but like at the end you realize basically everything he's been doing is to protect his people so that they don't all melt and die so you feel not necessarily sympathetic but you feel more understanding of his decisions of why he's been bringing winter onto the other people and that's like also part of the like Irina versus Miriam sort of controversy because at the end Miriam is like we can't just leave him down there all the Stark people will die and Irina says well if we don't all of our people will die so kind of this idea of the two kingdoms and how can they both coexist without one killing the other turns out all you needed to do was kill Chernobog and bind the Stark Lord to say not to bring winter longer than usual and things work out just fine but it's also interesting kind to trying to decide like who do you agree with and I end up siding more with Miriam because she is like the main main character and there are a lot of point of views in this book from almost every character. So you're like understanding how people are thinking, lots of internal monologue and like seeing how they're growing and stuff like that. And I understand Irina's perspective and like think that she was doing the right thing for the kingdom. But also Miriam is my number one so I like can't help but side with her if that makes sense. And so, like, also interesting part of this is just, like, the character development. I'm being, as we're approaching the end of my time, I'm, like, talking a bit quicker about some of these things. I could talk about this book forever. I made my sister read this book, actually, before I ever did, and she's the only person I've met who has read it. So, if you ever want to talk about this book with me, hit me up. I would love to discuss this more in depth with all of you guys and get your opinions on it like how did you feel about Miriam and the Stark how did you feel about Irina and Miranatus and where their relationship will go after the book because I have thoughts and feelings and opinions on that as well that I don't have time to get into here 
But one of the last big things I want to talk about, I mean, other, I have down here Stark culture, but like I've already said, like, I don't understand it. Even a second time through, I'm not really exactly sure. I would have loved to get more of an explanation about why things are the way that they are, but I didn't get it. So, oh, well, you guys don't get it either. And so finally, I want to talk about the character development because that was the other thing that's so good about this book. This is definitely a plot-driven book, but the characters and the character development are so important. And of the characters that you're seeing, Miriam, Wanda, and Irina have like, and, you know, Stepan and Sergi too as well, have like such big changes in their character and they just develop so greatly over the course of the book. And it's just so impressive that Naomi Novik was able to do that considering like that she had one book, lots of perspectives she was talking about, and I can see the development in all of them. One of the things about Miriam, and I've said this before in my podcast, is that I typically don't like an unreliable narrator, not unreliable, an unlikable narrator. If the narrator's unlikable, it's a lot harder for me to like the book because I might not like the character. That divorces my feelings from the book a bit. Miriam at the beginning is not super likable because she is hardened by the life that she has lived. And she's like, not necessarily doesn't believe in kindness, but like kind of doesn't believe in kindness. But it's so interesting to see her like grow and evolve through the book. And there's like one point where she's like, I um, begrudged every like, piece of bread and cup of milk that we gave Sergi but now I wish I had been kinder and I had given him more and told my mom to feed him more because at the time she was like worried about money and how much that cost but then seeing like if I had the kindness he was like trying to save her from this guard and all this different stuff so just interesting to see her grow and change from being like not necessarily selfish because I don't think she was necessarily selfish but like caring about just her family to like opening up to care about other people and then seeing her care about the Stark in general and like going to save all of them even if maybe some of them did not deserve that very interesting stuff and you're seeing Wanda change as well at the beginning she doesn't like her brothers but by the end they're like really close and she also like you see her like growing as a person and to become more confident and different things like that Wanda's interesting because she like I just feel like the fandom for this book, it's really not that large, but like really latched onto her and everybody decided that she's a lesbian, even though there's not really, she does not want to get married. So I guess that's like people reading into that, but I don't know. I did like Wanda a lot. And then Irina seeing her grow and she's an amazing politician. Can't, like the best choice ever for Zarina and that she cares about the country and she is going to get the changes done. She's marrying people off to others to prevent war and to like form like alliances and like she's going to help the people. But also Marinatis, she was bl- plotting to kill him for like 90% of the 95% of the book, honestly, maybe 98%. So like, will he survive in the future? Unclear, unknown. We don't know. And with that, I'm really at the end of the time, so I can't talk anymore. A few things. I want to give you all a seasonal reading update. I talked about this in my last episode that, like, I have a bunch of books that are set in winter or have winter in the title, and I just, I'm usually not a seasonal reader, but I just have to read them. Like, Spinning Silver technically takes place in the spring for most of it, but it's just surrounded in winter vibes with the snow that I had to read it in winter there's not really any snow on the ground right now, which is kind of sad, but also kind of good. But it did snow over the weekend, and I did read this book over the weekend, so we still get those winter vibes. 
So basically what I'm saying is that I've become, I guess I'm a liar, I've become a winter seasonal reader only maybe. And so I'm not sure exactly what book you're going to hear next. Um, you might be hearing winter about Winter's Orbit, which is a sci-fi about like these two men and they get um, married for political alliance reasons and then they have to solve a murder. And then, or you might be hearing about the family you make, which is about a fake dating situation after an almost death accident. And it's by Jill Chavez and I'm really excited for it. Or you might be hearing something else entirely because I'm definitely going to try and do an episode for Black History Month, reading a book by a black author, but I haven't decided exactly what that book is going to be yet. And I actually don't know, maybe that episode would come before this or after, I don't know, because I record weeks in advance, about two weeks in advance. I'm not exactly sure how things will shake out, but those are some things to look forward to in the coming month or so. And with all of that to said, I have a few closing housekeeping things to say to you. Please follow me on Instagram at I read a book once blog. You can DM me your thoughts, feelings, opinions on this book, or send me an email at I read a book once blog at gmail.com. While you're on Instagram, give me a follow. It will really help me to stay motivated to post on Instagram. Also, um, please rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast on your different podcast platforms if you're able to do those different things. That would really help other people find it and mean a lot to me, and I would love you forever. With that being said, my name is Emma. This was I Read a Book Once, and I'll catch you guys next time.